In 1978, the body of 20-year-old Iris Whistling Elk was discovered in a ditch just outside the Northern Cheyenne Reservation in Montana. Her death ruled an accident. Her family believes she was murdered. 44 years later, her case remains unsolved, and her family is still seeking answers. This is the story of Iris Whistling Elk. Hey guys, this is Ash. This is Shiashi. This is Maggie, and you're listening to We Are Resilient. Shasha, you might be lagging a little bit. Oh, maybe you're okay. Of course I am. Lagging on the pod and in life. (sighs) You know what? I can't wait until my little sewing room is finished getting a makeover and we can start recording back in person. My Wi-Fi has not been kind to me. All right, we're going to go ahead and jump right into today's episode because Maggie has her baby down to sleep and we don't know how much time we have. So Maggie, what do you have for us today? So today I have a story that's a little bit different than the stories we've covered in that it happened in 1978. We've tried to cover a lot of, I think, well, I won't say we try to cover a lot of current cases, but we focus a lot on I think some of the current cases that we see in the media just to help it get some coverage. But this case is actually still unsolved. Oh my gosh. You know, we always talk about the overwhelming number of MMIWs today. But have you noticed in doing your research, the sheer number of missing and murdered Indigenous women from like the 1980s and under? It's astronomical. It's crazy. Yeah, it it really is. And what's even crazier is that some of the same things are still happening. Like some of the same things that happen to the women today happened to women 40 years ago. So our next episode release after this one, I'm covering a case from the 1970s too. And what I've learned in doing the research is that the barriers and issues that we face today with MMIW are the exact same barriers we're facing, what, 40, 50 years ago? We're fighting the same fight today. So I'm really interested to hear how this case plays out. Yeah, so my case is actually 44 years old. So mine's, you know, that's... I mean, that's still a long time. It's crazy to think about. So on September 20th, 1978, in a town called Ashland, Montana, near the Northern Cheyenne Reservation... A transient was searching for bottles and cans when he found a young woman's body lying face up in a ditch, fully clothed, with her hands tucked inside of her sweatshirt. Oh my gosh, that's scary. It was originally determined that this woman had died due to a head injury and was likely an accidental death. The body found was determined to be the body of Iris May Whistling Elk, a 20-year-old Northern Cheyenne woman. All these girls are just so young. I know. And you know what's really sad is I got really sad looking back through our database because it's all just like the pictures of them. And I saw Aaliyah Gatton Wells and just how beautiful they were. And it made me really sad looking back through that. I don't know if you've gone back through just like the database, but it is it's so sad. Yeah. Anytime I go to update the website, I'm kind of reeling from the fact of just how much our database has grown over the last year. And you're right. These women and girls are beautiful. You know, some may have troubled past and things that they were working to overcome. Some were mothers. Some were really on the cusp of really beginning the start of their lives. And we just keep adding to the list and we've barely even scratched the surface. But yeah, when I was going back through all the episodes, it was, you know, we have like three or four pages of women on there and it is terrible, but they are all so beautiful. I agree. It's just really sad. 
Iris was born on December 31st, 1957, and was the second of her parents' nine children. She is described as an inquisitive, kind, and selfless person. Iris loved to sing and was known to help people with their homework and had graduated from high school mere months before her death. And she had actually received a college scholarship that she never got to use. Like I said, on the cusp of doing great things, you know, scholarships aren't always easy to get. Especially in 1978, you know, like I bet scholarships were not as common as they are today. Yeah. And she was how old? Eight, so she was about 18 when this happened? She was 20. 20? Mm-hmm. Iris and her eldest sister cared for their younger siblings much of their lives as their parents both died at a young age. So it sounds like Iris was, you know, kind of one of the main caregivers for her family. Yeah. Being the oldest. I'm a middle child, but my two older sisters took care of us a lot when we were growing up. Yeah. My dad comes from a large family with a lot of siblings, and he would tell me stories about how the older ones helped take care of the younger ones and how that whole scenario worked. But, you know, it's not really uncommon, I suppose, for Indigenous families. Yeah, and Indigenous families, you know, I think it is more common. Uh, Maybe not more common, but I guess in Indigenous families, we see it a lot, especially in our community, right? Absolutely. I think it's just because we're so close, you know, like cousins. Most are raised like siblings, as brothers and sisters, just because they're so close. That's true. Yeah, I know there are some families where, honestly, I couldn't even tell you, like, which kid is, like, that person's biological kid and which is their sister's kid, you know, because they're always all together. Yeah. God, knowing that, I just scared to hear about what happened to her. So after the body was found, an autopsy was performed and indicated that there were multiple injuries to Iris's head and body. And she had a blood alcohol level of 0.26 which would mean she was highly intoxicated. It was thought that more than likely she had been deceased for at least two days prior to being found. Oh, that's awful. It was reported that she was seen the night before at a nearby bar. Authorities determined that she had suffered head injuries, but nothing else in her case indicated foul play. Police believed Iris may have hit her head, walked away, and died of her injuries and from the exposure to the elements a few hours later. I was just thinking that, like, did the elements play a cause in this? Yeah, so this is in Montana in September. So odds are, I guess the nighttime temperature would probably be 30s, maybe. Yeah. Yeah, and we got a small dose of that reality here in North Carolina because it has been freezing the last couple days in the 30s and below. And for her body to be out there for two days, I can only imagine how the elements played into that. What's frustrating is it's so common in MMIW stories is just like, to play it off, you know? She did it to herself. Yeah. And I'll I'll tell you a little bit about kind of what, yeah, I'll talk a little bit more about it. They could not conclusively determine if Iris's head injury contributed to her death. However, this would be questioned years later. A man was originally identified as a suspect, but took and passed a polygraph test. Since he passed the polygraph test, he was no longer considered a suspect in this case, and he was never named in any of the evidence. How reliable are polygraph tests? Well, this is 1978, too. So I don't know. I know now I don't think they can use them as rock hard evidence. I think they have to have like secondary evidence to make someone not a suspect anymore. But I don't know how it was then. Yeah, I know from listening to other true crime podcasts that a lot of them do say not to do a polygraph test because they aren't very reliable. So So I did a quick Google search and it said that the American Psychological Association states that most psychologists agree that there is little evidence that polygraph tests can accurately detect lies. 
Yeah, so to Asha's question, you know, I really don't know how reliable it would have been in 1978, especially if now they're saying they're not reliable. Iris's family did not even know that there was a suspect until her case was looked back into about 20 years later. What? Yeah, they so they didn't even tell her? Nope, they were never told that there was even a suspect in question. I'm sorry. So you're saying that there was a suspect at one point. The family didn't know, yet they were made to believe that... That she did it to herself. Yeah. If that was the story going forward, then why even consider a suspect? Why even look into somebody? I don't know, because, you know, with with the suspect being not named, the, I mean... Honestly, there's not a lot of information out there about her case, but, you know, it's good questions. I don't know. It doesn't make any sense. So the news article written from 1978 had the headline, Woman's Body Found in Brush, and reads as follows. The body of 20-year-old Iris Whistling Elk of Lame Deer was found in a heavily brushed area near the east end of Ashland at 11.27 a.m. Thursday by a man searching for bottles and cans. According to the Rosebud Sheriff, Jim Schiffer, there was no obvious signs of what caused the young, 5'2", 135-pound woman to die. He speculated that exposure may have been the cause. Schiffer described the area where the body was found as the Skid Row part of town. He said there were bruises on her face and a very high alcohol content in her blood. He was quoted to say, At the present, it's kind of up in the air what we have, he said. We're not ruling it a homicide. Even with bruises on her face? So they were basically under the impression that she got drunk, wandered off, and fell multiple times in her drunken state. And they didn't bother to, like, you know, question people at the bar who she was last with. Was she with friends? Was she... Not that I'm aware of. Mm, okay. This just feels like another case of stereotyping, you know? Like, it's another drunk Indian. Well... I think so, too, because in the news article, it was specific to sk- to say that she was found in the Skid Row area, which Skid Row would mean like where transients and homeless people stay. Um, so it seems like, you know, they were kind of labeling her as a transient or maybe someone who kind of ran with a crowd that visited that area. To me, that's, you know, for uh, why would you need to mention that in the news article? Well, it's because we've done... Enough presentation on MMIW to know about the inequities that people of color face, especially given how they're portrayed in the media as opposed to white women. And the media has such a big impact and influence. So many people live and die by what they read and see on the news. Especially headlines. They'll read headlines and run with it without even reading into the article and informing an opinion. They just read the headlines and they go with it. And the headline was so vague. Woman's body found in brush. Oh my gosh, I must have blanked when you said that. I didn't even realize that's the headline. Yeah, the headline just said woman's body found in brush. Gosh, that makes me think of Samantha Cutler. Do you remember that headline for her? It was Choctaw woman apparently murdered. Yeah, Mm. her family strongly believes that she was murdered. Yeah, I agree. Iris's sister, Catherine, was so adamant that this was not an accident that she sent letters to the Rosebud County authorities requesting them to investigate her sister's case as a homicide. She called the America's Most Wanted producers, but never got a response. And she never got responses from the Rosebud County authorities either. But finally, a number of years later, and it really isn't clear what year this occurred, but it was likely in the 2000s, 
a local attorney, Michael Hayworth, looked back into Iris's case and requested a forensic pathologist review the original autopsy. Dr. Thomas Bennett reviewed Iris's autopsy and concluded that Iris either suffered a major fall or was beaten to death, noting that she had a catastrophic subdural hematoma. He noted multiple injuries throughout her body and ultimately determined that Iris died of a major bleed in her brain caused by blunt force trauma. He also noted the presence of possible defense wounds on her arms. Dr. Bennett believed that Iris either fell multiple times or was brutally beaten to death. He reviewed the autopsy that they did in the 70s. He did. And they didn't release this information to the police and say, hey, we think that maybe she she was beaten because of the self-defense wounds and the type of injuries she had. No. So he reviewed this autopsy a number of years later. It wasn't clear what year that was. So this is much after her death. So after this, I believe her case was possibly reopened. Um, it, It also isn't clear about that either. But he reviewed the original autopsy from 1978. He didn't perform an additional one. Right. But I'm saying like in the 70s, when they did this autopsy, though, that was that information wasn't relayed to the police at that time. So the thing about autopsies is that whoever the forensic pathologist is, it's their opinion. It's their medical opinion of what happened to that body. So the medical opinion of the person who did it in the 1970s did not have the same conclusion as Dr. Thomas Bennett. Now, why? Who knows? So if it's based off opinion, that means that a forensic pathologist or whoever's doing the autopsy, if they have a prejudice, this will greatly affect how they view the result. Absolutely. Because it's just that one person. Yeah, it's that one person looking at the body. So Um, so even though in this case it could have went, it could have been an accident or she could have been murdered. It's the opinion of the autopsy. What what do you call them? I'm sorry. Forensic pathologist. The forensic pathologist to determine which one it is. To determine the cause of death. Yes. And the manner of death. And so. Yes. He thought it was an accident. The original forensic pathologist ruled it as suspicious, but accidental. I just feel like if if there's any type of suspicious in it, it should be looked into thoroughly. I would think that there has, I mean, I don't understand why there aren't like more guidelines or laws around autopsies, because if it's suspicious, why wasn't like a second pathologist called in to review it, you know? Because clearly, if they had done that, someone else may have had the same results as Dr. Bennett. Correct. Dr. Bennett also stated that it is possible that Iris suffered the injuries elsewhere and that her body was dumped in the area that it was found. There's just a lot of scenarios that we're getting here for it to be ruled an accident. Yeah, and I don't know how far away she was from the bar, too. You know, that would be critical information to kind of understand the story more. Because if she was like five miles from the bar, like that's unreasonable. You know, she couldn't drunkenly walk with a brain bleed five miles anywhere. But I, I don't know how far she was either. The, the news article is very vague. So Maggie, was this tribal police that was doing the investigation? So what's sad is many think that what happened to her probably happened on the reservation, but she was found off of reservation land. So it's being investigated by the county police and the FBI is not involved because it is not on boundary land or reservation land. So here's where I'm at with that. We've talked about jurisdiction issues a lot because it it comes into play with the majority of the cases that we've covered so far. Why does it have to be such a battle when there's a human being involved? There's somebody here that that died in a tragic way. 
Why are we not doing everything we can to help resolve this and potentially get a killer off the street? Well, what I don't understand is why they don't want to work together to solve these cases. You know, it kind of just feels like a lot of times it's like too much work to put in the effort that they're just like, oh, you know, well, we can't find anything. It's because indigenous women don't matter. Yeah, but it seems like if they did involve the FBI or the state bureau investigations or something that they could get more resources dedicated to it. But I I don't understand it either. So Iris's family believes that she was either beaten to death by a group of girls rumored to be jealous of her, or possibly um, she could have been killed by a man she met at the bar. But today, 44 years later, Iris May whistling Elk's death is still unsolved. That's a long time to go without any answers. 44 years. I bet some of her family members aren't even alive anymore. And that's sad. Like, can you imagine your older sister being murdered and found in such a way and then never getting a resolution? Like, never even knowing what happened to her. And then to find out 20 years later there was a suspect and nobody told you about it. Yeah. And if there was a suspect, why wasn't the family questioned about it? Maybe they knew if there was a history there or some kind of disagreement. There's just a lot of unknowns here. It just sounds like they didn't take the time to look into it. Well, like Shiashi said, it just seems like they just wrote it off as like another drunken Indian who did it to herself. Case closed, huh? If she didn't die from, you know, getting up and falling down multiple times, then she probably died from laying out in the cold. And it's just like, who cares? Can you say the name of the headline just one more time? Woman's body found in brush. And I'm sure the article only had like one or two sentences of her story. Like, I don't get it. Yeah, and apparently the the rumor about the group of girls came maybe from some people who knew her in the community. So, you know, it sounds like if they got out and canvassed the community and did interviews, that they could even get more information just by doing that. Because if that's true, if there was a group of girls out there who were targeting her, you know, that's the kind of stuff that you should look into. Exactly. Absolutely. Yeah, until a homeless man found her in a ditch when he was looking for cans. It's just so sad that she was dumped and laying out there the elements for two days before somebody found her. Isn't that just, it's just sad. It's so sad. I just can't imagine, you know, my loved one being found in such a way and just not having any sort of solution or resolution to it. Like not ever knowing. Maggie also mentioned she had defensive wounds. Oh, that's right. So that right there tells you everything you need to know. It wasn't an accident. He also noted the presence of possible defensive wounds on her arms. So it sounds like he didn't definitively say, like, these are defensive wounds, but they could be considered that. So what's crazy is this happened 44 years ago. You know, what if the killer isn't even alive anymore and he took this or she took it with them when they passed? I don't want to get off on a tangent, but have you guys ever seen, like, I think it was a Reddit thread um, about, like, people's dying secrets yeah i saw that on buzzfeed i think yeah so people who work in healthcare posted what some of the people in their care told them was their dying secret so sometimes people would say about how they killed someone but you know they didn't give a lot of information so unfortunately that's probably a true scenario ash and that's crazy and I wonder if those healthcare workers could report it, you know, with HIPAA. I don't, I mean, I think you can because if it's anything in regards to like bodily harm or like anything illegal, I think you can. Um, but, you know, 
how do they know that the person's not just like if the person has dementia or if the person's kind of on their deathbed? How do you know if it's not like a hallucinogenic thought or if it's true, you know? But that, isn't that crazy? It's so crazy. It's just the same issues 44 years later. I mean, come on, we're looking at jurisdiction issues, lack of media coverage, victim blaming. It's the same stuff. The generic hypothermia. She did it to her, she she walked out drunkenly and succumbed to the elements. Like when is it going to change? If you have any information regarding the death of Iris May Whistling Elk, you are encouraged to contact the Rosebud County Sheriff at 406-346-2715. Today, 44 years later, Iris May Whistling Elk's death is still unsolved and her family is still left wondering how she died. Thank you for listening to We Are Resilient. For links to information found for this episode, you can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at We Are Resilient Podcast. Send us an email at weareresilientpod at gmail.com or visit us at www.war-podcast.com.